The Bible reading for today is from Psalm 27, uh, which you can find on page 557 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, he is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tents and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tents, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witness rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thanks, Vivian. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you rule by your word, that you um, shape your people, uh, that you um, use us and lead us in this world through your words. And we pray now as we come to it that uh, you would be at work amongst us by your spirit. Give us soft hearts, um, help us to listen to you, and listening to you, will you change us. Amen. Fear is a bit strange to talk about. I don't know how comfortable you feel when you're feeling afraid. I don't know how eager you are to share that fear with other people. I think on one hand, we recognize it as an emotion much more easily than other emotions. At the very least, you notice that something is off. You feel unsettled. But on the other hand, to acknowledge that fear is to admit your vulnerability. It's really not easy. Again, I don't know about you, but I think with me, I've become used to a constant low-grade anxiety, so much so that sometimes I don't even notice it anymore. Seasons like this, coming out of a global pandemic, war and rumors of war on our doorstep, the inflation higher than it's been in 40 years, That sort of thing brings our fears right to the surface. There was a season when 
I would find myself awake in the middle of the night with the wheels furiously turning, trying to solve all sorts of problems. Because anxiety demands attention. It wants a solution, and it wants that solution right now. It calls us to do whatever we can to sort out the problem. And there are really good reasons to be worried. I think if you took a couple of minutes to reflect on your own life, you'd be able to list them. You could get sick. Someone you love could get sick. You could die. You could experience great suffering, pain, loss, the lack of basic necessities. A freak accident could occur. If you have a young child, you'll know that at a particular age, they try really hard to kill themselves. <laughs> and as a parent, it's natural to be absolutely fearful for them and to go out of your way to protect them. Given the economic situation, you might be concerned about how you're going to get through the next few months or the next few years. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe the fault lines in your closest relationships are cracking wide open. I don't know what it is. But fear is not passive. It moves us. It causes you to respond in some way or the other. You might recall that uh, classic um, phrase that fear moves us to fright, flight, or to fight. It motivates us to seek safety, control, certainty. Now those can be good and right things in the face of danger, but they can also go bad in a hurry. They present a very strong temptation to us to trust in ourselves rather than in God. Why do we lean on our own strength? I reckon it might be because we at least know what we're getting. It helps you to feel like you're in control because at least you're doing something. And yet, in that desire to be safe by chasing control and certainty, we are implicitly accusing God. We are accusing him of not having our best interests at heart. That kind of faithlessness in God's good plans for his people, that kind of faithlessness that we are safe with God, is right at the heart of sin. Now, fear isn't necessarily bad. It can protect us in a broken world that's dangerous. But when it does go bad, rather than driving us to God, it drives us to false powers that actually have no ultimate power to keep us safe. And so our aim when we are dwelling on our fears must be to uncover what's going on in our hearts and to pray that God will help us to see what's wrong, whether that's loving the wrong thing or loving the right thing too much or demanding certainty and control to protect something that we rightly love or some other faulty 
response. And what the Bible does is offer us a reorienting hope in our fears. Whatever the danger, no matter what we value, God can be trusted with our treasures. And every fear ought to be driving us straight towards him in prayer and obedience and fellowship. And so we're going to look at Psalm 27, a psalm that David pens when he is in utter danger, when panic besets him, when he's fearful. And we're going to use that as a model to help us reflect on how we can respond in our fear. Fear and worry reveal, fear and worry reveal more about us than the things that are outside of us. They show what is valuable to us. And what's valuable to us, in turn, <laughs> reveals what we love, what kingdom, which king our hearts are allied with. Now, we also know that God is gracious. He's patient and compassionate. He's aware of those divided allegiances. And yet he persists in calling us he calls us away from that fear and worry, and he's trying to persuade us of the beauty and goodness of his kingdom. And out of his abundance, he gives us far more than we can imagine. So we should expect his words as we read them to sound attractive. We should expect them to be winning us over. And as we meditate on these words, as we make them our own, we should have every hope, we should anticipate Slow, but steady change. And so with that kind of hopefulness in our fear, let's dwell on the psalm. Because the psalm will be a, a prayer for us. It'll put words to the new desires we pray God is nurturing inside of us. It's a psalm of David, a cry to God to deliver him from his enemies. And we're going to dwell on its truth in four steps. Remember, look, pray, and wait. Remember, look, pray, and wait. So remember, the first few verses there. I'll read verse 1. Uh, this bold declaration that the psalm starts with. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When you're in a fix, it's great to have a trump card, isn't it? You're stuck on the side of the road with a broken down car. Well, you've got a lifeline. You ring the AA, who will roll up in a few minutes and get you on your way. Stuck in the Australian outback? No problem. Bear Grylls is your traveling companion. Afraid? Well, you call to the Lord who is light and deliverance and strength, and all is well. Even better, do you see how David phrases it? He's my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Bad things lurk in shadows. But the light exposes them, and they flee. 
When we're anxious and fearful, we feel like we're walking in a dark and dangerous place. But into that vulnerable place comes the God who is light, and that light penetrates everything. It sends the darkness scuttling. It's not the prettiest picture, but if you've ever been in a kitchen that's infested with bugs, and you, you, you know, it's dark, and there's dirty dishes and everything lying around, and you switch the lights on, there's that scuttle as they all run off. It's that sort of a picture, but much more glorious. <laughs> See, God brings life and truth. He banishes evil. He chases that stuff away. And when David is dwelling on salvation here, he's not just thinking about his personal victories, but he's thinking about all God's victories on behalf of his people. The deliverance from Egyptian slavery. We thought about that last week. The conquest of Canaan, and so on, right through Israel's history. With Egypt, you had the strongest military power in the world on one side, and on the other side, unarmed slaves. What chance did they have? With Midian in the time of the judges, you have an army thick as locusts with innumerable camels on the one hand. And on the other side, 300 unarmed men. God likes his people to be outnumbered, to be facing impossible odds. Because then, it's pretty obvious who the deliverer is, isn't it? They don't get out of it in their own strength, by their own wisdom. And that third image, my stronghold, well, it just evokes images of a safe place, doesn't it? When David was on the run from Saul, he had a particular stronghold in the wilderness that couldn't be breached. When he went there with his men, he was safe. He felt safe. Well, here's a deeper insight that David is letting us into. That wilderness lair was safe only because God was there. See, this knowledge of God enables David to look forward with confidence in his struggle, in the challenges he's experiencing. He can be confident. Why? Because of the God he's looking to. Now that comforts me. But the words of God do more than that. They focus us on Jesus Christ. They're words to be savored. These words are thoroughly God-centered. The focus isn't so much on David's deliverance or my deliverance. The focus is on my deliverer. My safety is located in knowing more of God. And as I read the pages of Scripture, I'm reminded that Jesus is that ultimate deliverer. He's the one who rescues me from the great enemies of sin and death. I'm also reminded as I read the psalm, as I started out, of how I tend to pray. I usually just jump in with a list of requests. I'm in pain. God, please take this pain away. I've lost something. I'm in need. 
I cry out and I ask for those things that I need. David here is reminding us to hang back, wait for those requests. First, dwell on your God. Reflect on his character. Because doing that gives us eyes that see the reality. They show us who the king truly is. If God can be trusted with life-threatening enemies, surely he can be trusted with my financial well-being, my physical health. whatever it is that I'm anxious about today. Well, that's the first thing, remember. Second, from verses 4 to 6, look. This second part of the psalm directs us to what is most important. Worry scans the universe looking for more worries to accumulate. This psalm, David, is modeling to us what it looks like to be single-minded. Take a look at verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What's David after here? He's not looking for a place. He knew that the whole world belongs to the Lord. And the temple in Jerusalem represented his throne room. It's a place from which his rule extended to the very ends of the earth. So what does David want? Well, he's after the presence of God himself. And the rest, the peace that comes from having him with you. Now, it's a really bold desire given the era that David lived in. God's holy presence was kept at a safe distance through the temple worship and sacrifices and system of priests. You couldn't just walk up to God and say hello in the temple. But look at David's heart here. He's throwing caution to the wind. He's confident in the kind and merciful character of his God that he will not deny needy people the help they need that he will not deny access to his throne room. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and what's more incredible for us is that the greater king, Jesus, has opened the way for us to shelter in the presence of our God. He says to us, Come, you who are needy, I will be with you. And we find there more than just a safe place. We find a good and a righteous king, one who loves us, one who is for us, a kingdom with radically different values that impresses those values onto us. That's what David is after, the presence of God himself. What does he want to do? Well, he wants to gaze upon the beauty of his Lord. See, David also is realizing here that all of the beauty of creation is pointing us to the Creator, and he wants us to enjoy him. We, just like him, are drawn to the presence of true beauty. You can't resist it. Beauty invites, it attracts, it inspires us to greater things. 
Beauty is just what worry needs. Worry's magnetic attraction can only be broken by an even greater attraction. And David is saying that we can only find that attraction in God himself. And if we're to be captivated by the beauty of God, it demands long-term commitment. You have to gaze at him and dwell on him. Anything that is truly beautiful gets more attractive the more you look at it. A beautiful painting invites you to explore and find much more depth in it. And God's beauty is just the same. As we look at him, as we behold him, we find ourselves getting more and more captivated. And so David is modeling it for us here. He's calling us to it. He's saying, dwell on God's beauty. Take the time to do it. His perfections. Reflect on the reality that Jesus' sufferings made him perfect. And it's by his perfect sacrifice that we can become perfect. We have it much better than David did. David could only hope to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. We can witness it in the face of Jesus Christ. He has come from heaven to earth for us to make God known. And for those who take refuge in him, who run to him for safety and help, he gives us God's spirit. We have the presence of Jesus Christ with us. So dwell on his beauty, gaze at him, use God's word. Use it for the window that it is to look upon our God. So remember, look, and thirdly, pray. Now, if David is in as desperate a situation as he's in, you might have expected him to be crying out for help from the start. But as you've read those first six verses, you may very well have thought that you are reading a song of thanksgiving, that David is now safe, that he's been delivered. But look at what's going on. From verse 7, you actually hear that cry, and you discover that all the way through, David is in this pit. He's in darkness. And the reason he began by trying to reflect on God's light is because his senses have been telling him otherwise. It's kind of like flying a plane in a thick fog. Not that I'm a pilot, but I'm reliably told that this is accurate. See, in a thick fog, when the weather's terrible and you can't, the pilot can't see out of the window, he can still safely fly the plane. plane. Because before him, he's got this huge array of instruments. And any experienced pilot can fly just by the instruments. See, when there's a contradiction between your senses, between what you're experiencing and what your experience is telling you is true, and what the instruments are telling you is true, a good pilot will trust the instruments. That's what David is doing here. David's senses are telling him that God is absent. Maybe God has turned away. But the instruments, God's character, 
God's actions in the past, God's promises of faithfulness, God's word to us, that tells us that God actually is near, that he loves more dearly than any father or mother ever could. There are times to listen to our fears because they point us to the things we value. It helps us to discern our hearts. But then there are times that we don't listen to them because they point us away from God and his truth. And David here is showing us how not to listen to those fears and anxieties. He's not believing his senses. When his senses tell him that it is all darkness and God is gone, he's absent, he does not believe it. He believes what God has said. He trusts the instruments. And so he prays. <laughs> he actually cries out to God. He talks to God and he asks for help in his need. Now that sounds dead obvious, doesn't it? The simplest thing you can do. But so often we don't. We worry, and then we worry some more. And we try to work out ways that we can gain control of the situation, or things we can do to reduce the harm we might come to. But let's try David's approach. This prayer is only about a quarter of the psalm. He starts by recounting who God is by remembering what God has promised. He looks upon the beauty and perfection of God until his heart starts to grow confident. And as he trusts God, then he prays. Try that. Remember, look, pray, and finally, wait. Verses 13 and 14. Look how the psalm ends. The final word is not a cry. David ends by encouraging even more confidence. He says there in verse 13, I will see the goodness of the Lord. Because all, all that we've dwelt on, he's so confident that God will again deliver his people. And because he's the king, he's God's anointed king, he knows God will deliver him and use him to rescue the people. We can be confident that God will act for those who take refuge in Jesus. Jesus is God's king. And those who take refuge in him are the ones who are on the king's side. He may not act in the ways in which we think are best, but he has promised that he will act. And in his sovereign goodness, we can be confident that those actions truly are the very best for us. They're not the actions of a God who is too busy or who's turned his back or an afterthought. They are the very best that God has to give us. Look at the last word, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and... Wait for the Lord. You don't see the deliverance quite yet? Be strong. Take heart. Wait. Wait patiently for the Lord. That's the summary of the psalm of confidence. 
See, once again, we're taken into the mind of God. Anxiety prefers immediate deliverance. Do something now, sort out the problem. But God might delay it. And in doing so, he gives us time to trust him. Waiting with confidence, with the assurance that God is who he says he is and he will act, that's faith. God is absolutely reliable. He's never held up. He's not going to take a wrong turn. No one is going to interfere with his care or deliverance. Well, worry looks for new answers. But in the psalm, there aren't any. Fear and worry need to act on what we already know to be true. Do we pray about those things that causes anxiety? Do we reflect and declare truths about God, his character, his mighty acts, especially as they culminate in Jesus? And do we respond, not just in the quietness of our own hearts, but, but together as his people, publicly? Do we respond to the promise that God will be with us? that his kingdom will come, that our lives are finally secure in his hands. Fear motivates us to seek safety, control, certainty. Now, those are good and right things to seek, but only if we seek them in God. And as we uncover what we value, what we love, Scripture turns our gaze to Jesus. It's urging us to respond in faith. Seek the Lord, gaze upon his beauty. If you remember nothing else, remember that. It will make all the stuff that you're fearful about pale in comparison. Don't trust your life and your treasures to your cleverness or your bank account or your accomplishments or to who you know. Those are false powers that cannot save. But God can. Our only path to true safety lies in trusting God by engaging him in our fears. So wait. And as you wait, remember, the Lord is with you. Let's pray. God, it is easy to um, lose sight of the reality that you reign, that you are king over all of the earth that nothing that happens in our lives is an accident or by chance, that you have ordained even the bad things that come for our very best. Help us to believe what you say. And in our anxieties, in our worries, in our fears, help us to look, to dwell on Scripture and through Scripture to see the God who rules, to see Jesus, his King, and to submit to him. Amen.